I was convinced that the hemp industry was going to be that significant opportunity for an investment. Well, half a million, $600,000 later, it's probably still a good investment, but the returns have been horrible. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the following five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I have created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all AE Starts Academy courses. And fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from AE Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Randy Mortensen. Randy, are you ready to rock? I am beyond ready and excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Randy guides talented individuals whose drive has led them towards destructive behavior. Well, do you know anybody to the listeners out there whose drive to be successful has led them to destructive behaviors? Listen up. He facilitates an eight-week cohort guiding members towards true significance, success, and sustainable living because he believes and he's proven that you can have both. Randy, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's just a, a huge blessing to, to be able to share a bit of, little bit of my gray-haired wisdom to all of your listeners around the globe. And when people say, well, tell me, tell me who you are, I actually come from a background of finance and energy. Started out in the banking industry, went into financial services, bought and sold a couple of businesses, and then was fortunate to get sober about just over 30 years ago. And following that, that time of sobriety, then I was actually part of a, a company that was acquired by a, a multi-billion dollar, a $60 billion gas and electric utility in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I became vice president of that utility. And it was there that, that I was really motivated to the point where I realized that anybody with an addiction or anybody with a compulsive destructive behavior, whether it's alcohol or porn or, or drugs, there's such a stigma in our workplaces. And there's a stigma in the business community, in our faith communities, as well as in our families. And so for the last 15 years, I've really been on a mission to crush the stigma in those arenas. And, you know, the people that are dying today are husbands, wives, and, and sons and daughters of people who love them. And one out of every four people in this world is being impacted by either their or a loved one's poor choices. One out of every four people in this world. Mm. That's my mission for wanting to be a guide for those talented management professionals whose drive has led them down a path of destructive and compulsive behaviors. That's powerful. And I know, uh, you know, I've faced my challenges of addiction and I faced them at a young age. And I also learned that you have to, you have to put in the work 
there's two parts of the work to get through the struggle. And it's interesting when you think about, you know, everybody's struggling with COVID and all that stuff, but there's a lot of people that have, you know, destructive behaviors and COVID has only made it worse. And they may be very successful in some areas as you have been throughout your life, but there's this one part of their life that's falling apart and it's reflected in their family. It's reflected in their relationships and it's reflected in how they feel, you know, that feeling of waking up in the morning, feeling like there's no point here. I'm going through the same thing. I mean, I can remember that. I still clearly remember that life just became kind of meaningless in a way. And right. then when I, when I got sober and I started, I realized, first of all, there's a huge amount of work up front. You got to step back. You got to stop doing what you're doing. You got to work with people, you know, work through a 12 step program and really try to do an inventory of your past and, and all that. There's a lot of work there. And if you do that work, if you are painstaking about that phase of your recovery, you're going to be amazed because you're going to be able to get through that. But then there's ongoing work. And so, you know, when I think about the people that are suffering out there and I think about the service that you're offering Maybe help tell, tell the audience if you know someone out there or if you as a listener are struggling, you know, how they can find you. I'll have links in the show notes and what they would expect if they got involved with what you're doing. Well, I think that something that I say very often is what blows my mind is it doesn't matter what sort of achievements a person has had in their profession or how much education they might have, or the degrees, or what their salary is, or what their, you know, their balance sheet looks like, their, you know, their wealth portfolio. It, it doesn't matter what they've accomplished. When they come up to me and they, they ask a question like this, they'll say, Randy, I'm just, I'm, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Mm -hmm. Or I don't know, you know, I, I need to change because I'm about ready to lose it all. And I say, well, it's very interesting because it sounds to me like you really do care and you do really want to change. Why haven't you? And what blows my mind is this, the response is the same four words every time, no matter what they've accomplished. I don't know how. Every time, I don't know how. You know, this person could have a PhD in whatever, or they could, you know, have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank account, it's the same response. I don't know how. So what I've really taken on the task of, and you can go to my website, it's at randymortensen.com. It's www.randylastnamemortensen.com. -E and on the front page, there's a 21 question assessment. Mm. And what that assessment will tell you is, is whether you're a mild, moderate, or severe case of substance use disorder. If you're mild or moderate, my lifestyle champion cohort is a good fit for that person. Right. And if you're severe, then, then Andrew, you and I, you and I both know networks that, that yep. we can refer people to yep. and to get the help that they sorely need. Because what did you, what did I decide? What was the final final? I had to admit initially that my life was unmanageable, right? A step one, very basic. Mm. Is your life yep. unmanageable? The answer is yes, if you're struggling with that compulsive and destructive behavior. So once someone does that assessment and there's no cost for it, it's, it's yep. something that, that is very confidential. And so the first thing that's critical 
for that person seeking help is how do you evaluate where you are today? You know, what, what's the scenario that you're in post that evaluation? So it's evaluation is number one. Number two is you need to learn the tools. You need to be equipped to live a different life with different choices. And, and you talked about the inventory. How do, how do we admit all the wrongs? But at the same time, I'm also quick to point out in steps four and five that it's not only important for you to admit what you've done wrong, but give your credit for some things you have done well. Right. Because there is a champion that's within you. You've just buried that, that lifestyle champion within you by your poor choices. So phase one of that cohort is evaluate. Phase two is equip. But then it's very important that once you have this new lifestyle, guess what? Your old friends aren't going to be your friends mm. because, you know, yeah. those choices that you made, you don't want to make anymore. So now we also look at how do you learn to enjoy the new you? And, and so those are the three phases mm. and it, it's, it's just critical for people to fight through the fear because as you said, in this time of pandemic, suicide rates have skyrocketed. Yeah. Relapse rates are at exceedingly high rates. You know, they've, yeah. they've increased so much even since 1990 in the last 18 months, they've even increased at more than double digits. Wow. So, yeah. so the death toll is heavy. You know, and, and the wreckage is beyond imagination, for sure. Great. I'll have the links in the show notes for the listeners out there. So if you want to reach out, just go to the show notes, click the links, and get in touch with Randy and take that test on his website. Well, Randy, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Right. And, and, and I made hundreds of horrible decisions during my drinking years, even though I was, I was successful on the, the surface, you would have never known, you know, all the poor choices that I was making that cost me marriages. And when I say marriages, I'm now on my third marriage and in sober 30 years, not a surprise that I've been married 31 years. It was because of the beautiful woman I've been married to as my third wife that really led me to get sober because mm. I didn't want to go through the turmoil again. So the poor decisions cost me marriages, two beautiful women's lives that I screwed up. And so even despite those poor choices, I was, I was a successful business guy in financial services, bought and sold a couple of service businesses. At one time we had 1300 restaurants under contract in seven States wow. even. And sold that out. And then I was fortunate to become a, an early stage, not partner, but I was an early stage founder in a lighting retrofit company. That first year we did 600,000 in revenue. Year two, we did 10 million. Year two, we did 20 million. Year three, we did 40 million. And this is in, in the mid nineties. Okay. So that's in the Enron era when, you know, all deregulation was happening and so on. And we ran out of money. So ultimately, the utility in Minneapolis acquired it. I became a vice president of that unregulated subsidiary of now a $60 billion gas and electric utility. But I walked away from that. And people thought I'd started drinking again. <laughs> Why would anybody walk away from that lucrative career? But I knew there had to be something more in life from a significance standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to help people. 
and I had no hint what that meant. And, and so, so I, I pursued doing work. Uh, I actually served on the president's task force for the redevelopment of Puerto Rico. So I'd go to the White House office building every six months for a couple of years. Mm. And so I, I wanted to do work in the Caribbean and in Africa. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to support those efforts, I should look at a significant investment. And I was convinced that the hemp industry was going to be that significant opportunity for an investment. Well, half a million, $600,000 later, it's probably still a good investment, but the returns have been horrible for the last four or five years. Mm. <laughs> and so I, I look at it from the standpoint of, I wasn't well enough connected to that network of growers and the network of financiers in Canada. And I didn't have the connections in Europe that I should have had because a lot of the hemp industry was in the Netherlands and in that part of Europe. And here in the United States, there was stigma, right? There was stigma against that because it was compared to the cannabis industry. It's not mm, the cannabis right. industry, hemp. So being far too aggressive in that investment, I should have shown some temperament control and not put as much money into it as I did. Those are the regrets. For mm. sure. And um, can you think of the day or the period of time where you kind of realize this really isn't going the way I plan? Yeah, it was when my wife came to me and she said, how much more are you really thinking you're going to put into this thing? <laughs> and because I was already a couple hundred thousand dollars over what I had told her we would do. Mm. So I have, a, I have a beautiful wife and, and she's very conservative and I was overextended. And that's when I knew that we already had it set to do a reverse merger with a company in Vancouver. Right. Okay. We already had that dialed in. We just couldn't get the revenue to the point where we needed it. Basically. Mm. Mm. So, so tell me what lessons did you learn from this experience? Be a bit slower to jump into the deep end of the pool. You know, I thought I knew how to build a company because I had run a $130 million business unit with 400 people on my team yeah. that I was responsible for, but I had far more backing financial back. I had far more access to capital. Mm. It was the utility, right? <clears throat> so that's what I would say. I, I, yeah. I thought I had sufficient access to capital. I thought I had sufficient access to the markets. I didn't. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I'll share what I take away. I think, you know, this, this is a lesson, I think, for particularly for executives out there, men and women who have achieved success in their life, in their career, they're making a good salary, things are going well. I want this lesson to be a warning to you, you know, to everybody listening, that what your success in the corporate environment does not necessarily translate into the startup environment. And it's nice to think that it does, but oftentimes the skills required are different and the breadth of skills is much different where you've got to be in marketing, you've got to be accounting, you've got to do all these things in a startup world. And so I think the biggest lesson is for people that are in executive positions, don't rush to go out 
and, you know, leave it all and go start up something in your life by taking the confidence that you feel today in your success, in your job and saying that that is going to translate into success in my startup. That would be kind of my biggest takeaway. Anything you would add to that? Yeah, that, well, well said on, on your part. I think the other, the other aspect is, is, is that, and I teach this when I'm doing workshops or speaking from stages, is it's so important to communicate with your spouse mm-hmm. and to, to draw on his or her common sense. And even, you know, I, I would like to think that when I was drinking, I was making solid business decisions. I wasn't. I was just lucky. And I was a hard worker. And so what happened to me, I'm convinced as I reflect back is I really became overconfident in my abilities. And, yeah. and I thought, well, I've done this before. I can do it again. But it was in, in, in an arena that I had no experience in. And frankly, I didn't engage in dialogue with my spouse to get her take from a common sense standpoint. And the other aspect is, is there were a couple of people that were engaged in the network I was in that were drinking too much, partying too much. That was that old lifestyle I wanted nothing to do with. And so I was drawn in because I thought here, you know, these are smart guys, but yet they're destructive, you know, they're poor choices not only affected them in the long run, but they affected me also. Mm. So that's, that's the coaching from that aspect of it. You know, I went through all of my episodes to try to classify them and, you know, build the lessons that we can learn from this. And one of the lessons I was just opening up that document, but one of the lessons is this, and it comes from another episode, but this will be, you know, the same type of general lesson from this one. And I wrote this out like this. Confidence from past success will blind you from doing the research you should perform when starting a new company. Brilliant. (laughs) And uh, I wrote down pride and pride and ego. Exactly. Yeah. They're all contributing. Yeah. And my solution to this problem or this risk that, that you're going to face for the listeners out there is develop a hypothesis of your customer's desire, test some minimum viable product, Review the outcome with someone that you trust and iterate. So that's the outcome from that. All right. So now, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, similar similar to what you just said is, is, is really draw on input from others and, and apply a heavy element of common sense instead of trusting your own intuition and instinct. And it was an emerging market. And mm-hmm. an emerging market, what's the rate of failure? Seven out of eight fail in emerging markets, right? Or in startups. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think I was, there was any way possible I could be in that 12%. <laughs> and that, my friends, is overconfidence. Yes. That's how exactly. we feel. There's no way I'm going to lose. I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. Right. I've seen this. I've worked in, I mean, I've been in tough environments. I know what it's like. That's the overconfidence that we all feel. Right. So, so last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, prior to the pandemic, my 
coaching and speaking business was growing at a pretty decent rate. And so I shared with you, I was supposed to speak in, in Africa to an economic development group. And so it, my number one goal is to, is to return to the stages, whether they be digital stages or, or you know, in conferences and so on, because yeah. I'm looking to speak to, I refer to white collar corporate America, right? Mm. Or that's why a better representation is talented management of professionals, talented management professionals. So my goal has been in, in the 20 to $25,000 a month range from coaching as well as speaking and doing workshops. So that's my number one goal. Actually, before that, I will say I'm three, almost three years behind my deadline. I'm finishing my book. My forthcoming book is titled God Took Me to Las Vegas to Get Sober. So that's probably my number one because that mm. the completion of that book will then stir up interest in some of these other programs in addition to my own podcast also. Right. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com, and I look forward to seeing you there. As we conclude, Randy, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I just want to encourage that guy or gal that's listening, that's struggling with drugs or alcohol or porn or, or whatever that compulsive and destructive behavior is. I just want to encourage them not to wait another day to reach out to you or, or to me because there is hope. Mm -hmm. and, and within each and every one of us is that lifestyle champion that's waiting to be revealed. But we have to make the decision to seek help. And there are people out there that want to help. My lifestyle champion cohort is, is a great option, but there's other, other people out there that, that love and care about you enough to make that life change today. Yep. That's great. A great point. And if anybody listening is struggling, either yourself or with someone that's struggling with addiction, you know, just come to the show notes, come to the website. You can contact Randy. You can also contact me on the website, myworstinvestmentever.com. Just go to the contact section and send me a message. It will come to my personal email, but there are solutions to this problem. And we both are examples of that. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.